communicator he is. And no, ladies, you can't go to that, that class. You have to go to your own. Sorry. But uh, it, that sounds good too, right? Both of them sound really good. But you got to love some Tony Evans. I remember years ago, it was probably about 15 years ago, I, I met Dr. Tony Evans and I was able to lead worship at an event where he was teaching. And uh, boy, what a treat that was, man, to lead worship with a choir and, uh, and also to uh, get to hear him and meet him live. So that was a special moment. So, well, hey, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that uh, the Lord is here. He is in our midst. His presence is here. The Holy Spirit is ministering and um, just uh, so amazing. I know a, a pastor, a friend of mine who pastors uh, here locally, he sent me a message this morning and basically said, hey, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit moves in your service today. And said some other things and I'm like, same to you, brother. So, you know, every once in a while we need that, don't we? We need that encouragement. We need that camaraderie. And, uh, you know, after all, it's the week after Easter. <laughs> yeah, the week after Easter is an interesting week for a pastor. You want to know why? You know where I'm going with this. I don't even have to say it, right? I mean, if you were here last week, there's a whole lot more empty seats here today than there were last week, right? And it's like, oh, dear Lord, right? But, you know, we had people over there and people here. The best we could figure, we had over 250 here last week. At least, at least, right? So where are they today? <laughs> a lot of them are on vacation. A lot of them are here and there and who knows. But, you know, but we're here. And the Lord's here, right? And I believe that the Lord has something that he wants to download to us as we kick off this new series called Arrow Striker. And uh, it's actually inspired by a book by an author, Jonathan Hardy. He wrote a book called Arrow Striker. And uh, if, if you're one that likes to dive deeper and look into things, I would encourage you to get that book. You can download it and maybe find it on Amazon. While he's not a well-known author, um, his book is available out there. And so we're going to take uh, a little more of an in in-depth approach looking at a particular passage of scripture that's a bit of a remote passage of scripture but some of those remote passages of scripture have some hidden gems in it don't they really do and so we're going to explore this arrow striker theme over the next couple of weeks and let me just kind of give you this is this is a commercial where we're going so week one today the story of the arrow striker week two the opportunity in front of us week three faith that changes everything and week four the power of going all in, all in. So we want to kick this series off with this particular message that is entitled, Becoming an Arrow Striker. Becoming an Arrow Striker. And I want this series to encourage us, to motivate us. I want to tap into, if we can, as a church, as individuals and as a church, to tap into God-given potential so that he will impact our lives, but so that we can in turn, impact the lives of others. Now, the name Arrow Striker comes from, again, a story, a remote passage in Scripture. And, and I'm going to have you go ahead and turn there here in the next few minutes, whether you turn in, in the pages of your Bible or whether you look it up on a device. Um, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. And as you're turning there, I want to share this, which is a, it's a very concise statement, if you will, 
Uh, it's, a, it's a declaration of faith. Um, and this is sort of the, the big idea, the overarching big idea that I want to present this morning. And uh, so here it is. We'll put it on the screen right now. God's desire is that we live life all in by taking the right opportunities with extraordinary faith. If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will, right? That's a, that's a great statement. That's a great faith statement. God's desire that we live life, can we say this together, all in? All in. Say it again. All in by taking right opportunities with extraordinary faith. I remember that phrase, all in, years ago. Remember the last time the Cavs were in the playoffs? And uh, that was the slogan, all in. Um, hopefully they can be all in this time too. Um, although last night didn't start out too well, we still have a chance, right? And it takes us as a fan base being all in, rooting for our team. How many of you know it takes rooting for each other to make it in this faith journey? We really do need each other more than we realize that we need each other. And we need to cheer each other on, right? We need to encourage each other in this faith journey. And we need to do so possessing this extraordinary faith that we need to live our life all in, but we need to exercise this extraordinary faith the Lord has provided for us. So while, while you're still kind of finding Second Kings there, if you found it, say, I got it. I got it. If you didn't say, not there yet. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you got a little more time. While, while we're turning there, or perhaps you're already there, let me give you a little bit of background for, for where we're going this morning. So Aram, which is modern-day Syria, was, was an enemy that, um, unfortunately, was constantly coming against Israel, God's people. And, uh, and they oppressed God's people many, many times and battled with God's people many, many times. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 7, we see that they had just about wiped Israel out completely. And here's what it says. It says, nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz, except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, that's not very many, by the way, right? And 10,000 foot soldiers for the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust at threshing time. Doesn't sound too well, too good. Aram was a powerful army. They were ruthless. In fact, in chapter 12, we see how Aram came into Gath and basically just took it over. Aram was big and powerful, and, and that country pretty much caused trouble for everybody. Can you imagine what Israel must have been feeling in this time? What they were dealing with, the fear, the uncertainty, worry, afraid for their very lives, right? During this time, right in the middle of all this, there was a transition in leadership because King Jehoahaz passed away and his son, his son Jehoash, became king. Jehoash didn't know what was going to happen to them. He was concerned. He was worried. So that's sort of the backdrop. And with that backdrop in place, let's go to chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Verse 10. In the 37th year of Jehoash, king of Judah, there's a lot of J's in here, Okay. And they sound similar, but they're not the same people, right? So it's kind of like, it's a little tricky. So just kind of pay attention here. Joash is the king of where? Judah, right? Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned for 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. 
As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, all he did and all his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals, annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now, we read that and we go, okay, that just sounds like another chronicle of one of the kings of Israel, right? That's okay. And, and we see that all through 1 Kings and 2 Kings. We see, okay, this king was born, this king came into power, this king did this, this, that, and the other, and then this king died. And then this other king took over for the king that just died. And it plays out like that over and over and over again. There's something significant in this story related to this particular king. And it's a significant set of verses here that up. And it's significant because, you know, the life of Jehoash was recorded a little bit different than was typical. Again, usually the king, the story, just like we read a few moments ago, this was his life. He came, he did this, he died, and then somebody else took over power. But in this case, there's one more story to tell. And you kind of get the feeling, as we read on, you'll feel it. It's like, oh, there's more. Oh, wait, there's more, right? We hear that expression sometimes, right? Oh, wait, there's more. And this is kind of one of those moments. There's more to the story. One more aspect that the writer here is trying to make. And he's, he's, he wants to make it in a definitive way. So we pick up the key passage here, beginning at verse 14, right? So let's look at it. 2 Kings 13, beginning at 14. This is our key passage. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father. Now, before we go any further, he's still alive. He's still alive at this point. I mean, I know it just said he, it just said he died, but that's kind of like the precursor. That's, they're beginning with the end of mine, I guess, you know. But what I want you to see, what happens next here is vitally important for us to capture, to understand. He said, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now, again, I want, I want us to see something here that we, we, need, we cannot overlook. And that is, Elisha is suffering to the point that he is dying, okay? He's dying. And so I, I wanna interject something that I think is vital for us to understand if we wanna understand the rest of the story. That is that these are the last words spoken by the prophet Elisha, and we are about to see his last act, service to God's people as a prophet, the last thing he does is the last thing he says before he dies. That alone makes it very important and significant, right? Hello? Isn't that still the case today in our culture and our society? The last words that someone speaks, the last act that they take, significant, right? Would you agree? So let's read on. Verse 17. Open the east window, he said. This is Elisha, right? And the king opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy 
the Arameans at Aphek. And he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times, stopped. Verse 19, the man of God was angry with him. This is getting interesting here. You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Man, there are some interesting things going on in this additional story that's added to to the chronicling of the life of this particular king. Can you imagine, again, uh, what was going on here? Because, and this is another thing that's important to point out, that typically the prophet would go to the king with a message and say, this is what the Lord is saying. This is what the Lord wants to speak to his people. Or this is what the Lord is speaking very specifically to you as the king. But what we see happening in this particular scenario is we see the king going to the prophet. Because he realizes that the prophet is dying. And he also realizes his dependence upon the prophet's guidance And he's leaning into what the prophet says as far as thus saith the Lord, right? And so this this also makes it rather interesting because this isn't typically the way it happens. Typically, prophet goes to the king. Here, the king is coming to the prophet out of desperation, right? And, and And he says, chariots and horsemen of Israel. In other words, he's saying, you have been our defense. You have been our rock that's kept us from being completely wiped out. And now that you're about to die, we're going to be left defenseless. He's probably thinking to himself, how are we going to make it once you die? How are we going to hear from the Lord? So on and so forth. And Elisha, being the man of God that he is, has one final message, one final message from God to give to the king. Yeah, he's in his 80s. He's on his deathbed. But he doesn't let that stop him. Man, what a beautiful picture. We'd never retire from God's work. Amen. Right? Even down to the last breath, we should be serving him, doing everything we can with what he has deposited into us. Right? And even though he has limited strength, he's on his deathbed after all. Somehow or another, he musters the strength to get up out of bed. Right? Uh, Steve, can I get you to come up here and help me for a minute? He didn't know I was going to call on him to do this. But. Now, I have this bow, and um, thank you, Ryan, for bringing this, but I don't think they had anything like this back then. Matter of fact, I don't even know exactly how to use this thing without hurting myself, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resort to something a little simpler, <laughs> something I can handle, okay? And so, what is it, again, that the king says or what is it, the prophet says to the king, he says, over to the window and shoot an arrow, right? And so you're the king. Hey, you're the king for the day. How's that feel, Steve? So, so you're king Jehoash, okay? There's your arrow, there's your bow. Don't point it at them, point it at the wall, okay? Just in case, just, just in case. I've had props go really bad sometimes. I mean, I almost burned the church down one day, so. And it had not been for somebody who knew to jump in at the last minute. I probably would have started a fire, but um, and that wasn't a spiritual fire either. It was, uh, yeah, we won't, we won't go there. 
But anyway, so here's what we see happening. We see the, the, the king has been told to go to the window to shoot an arrow. We see that the prophet on his deathbed gets up from his deathbed and somehow makes his way over to the king. He's moving much slower than I'm moving right now, I'm sure. And what does he do? He places his hands on his hands. As the king pulls back the bow, pulls back the arrow, and is preparing to shoot the arrow, the prophet has his hands on the king's hands, which in this case is symbolic of God's hands, yeah? Yeah. God's touch, God's approval, God's authority. So as the king is getting ready, as he's pulling back to shoot the arrow, here is this weak about ready to die prophet who is placing his hands of authority on the king's hand and then the arrow is shot. Well, I didn't intend for you to shoot it, but good shot. That was good. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. I, I, no, you're fine. I, I wanted you to see that picture, okay? Because we must not lose sight of the fact that the Lord's hands was in this. His purpose was written all over this scenario, right? This arrow that the king shot was intended to be an arrow of victory, right? He just got the word from the man of God that he was actually going to completely destroy Aram. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yet, as we read in this passage, King Jehoash stops short and shoots fewer arrows than he was supposed to shoot. Now, I know it says striking the ground. And, and you know what? We're not sure exactly what that means. I've read different commentaries and different, listened to different people's point of view on this. I even went back and listened to a sermon by Charles Spurgeon in 1885, I think it was spoken. He kept saying, he stopped short of shooting all of his arrows, all of his arrows. So, Obviously, Spurgeon believed that it was more than just doing that, right? And we know, historically speaking, that when an archer, when an archer was shooting an arrow, and I'm not going to shoot this, I'm just going to demonstrate, just pull back, that when they shot arrows, they would oftentimes refer to them as shooting to hit the ground as a declaration of victory. So when it, when it says strike the ground, that can also mean to pull back the bow, shoot the arrow, and to strike the ground with an arrow, but to do so as a declaration of victory. So whether it was, we will win, <laughs> or whether it was, we will win, and I'll show you because I'm going to shoot this, we don't, we don't really know. We do know, what we do know from this passage is that Elisha was upset with the king that he only did it three times. Whether it was simply striking the ground or whether that he still had, he still had arrows in his quiver for some reason. There are those that believe that the issue here is that it was a half-hearted commitment on behalf of a king who really didn't follow God to begin with. Half-hearted commitment. But I believe that what we see here is Jehoash's lack of faith resulted in only a partial victory. His lack of faith resulted in only partial victory. 
Isn't it interesting that he has promised complete annihilation of his enemy? Do you see that? In verse 17, it's there. It's clear. But then in verse 19, we find that he's only going to partially defeat the enemy. Why? He has something to do with the fact that it's a lack of faith, that he could only believe God for so much. And unfortunately, the consequences not only, hear this out, friends, the consequences not only affected him, but it affected God's people. See, our actions have consequences. Our faith, our lack of faith, whether we believe God to do what God says he's going to do or whether we pull back short of trusting God to do what he said he would do, in part, that's on us. God will keep his word and he will do what he said he will do. But it will require that you and I follow through. It's kind of quiet in here. Not really intended to be a hard word. But yet if it hits, if it hits a nerve, then I guess, guess it is. Again, the ancient custom was to shoot the arrows as a declaration of we will win, we will win, we will win. Could it be, could it be that the king is like, I will win instead of I will win because of God. Or better yet, God is with us. (laughs) We will win, right? Right? And then as a declaration, right? We don't know for certain, but we do see this, that due to King Jehoash's half-hearted commitment and lack of faith in God, he stopped short of shooting all of his arrows. And because he stopped short of shooting all of his arrows, God's people were not able to accomplish what God's people were intended to accomplish. So what does that have to do with us? Likewise, Our level of faith will determine our destiny. My level of faith, your level of faith will determine destiny. It says this in Matthew 9.29. Jesus said it. According to your faith, according to your faith, let it be done to you or done unto you. Your level of faith determines the outcome. Here's another thought that I want to convey. Opportunities are all around you. You and I have opportunities around us constantly, right? So let me encourage you with this truth today. God has placed all kinds of opportunities before you and before me, before us. It's not that there aren't opportunities. It's that we fail to take full advantage of those opportunities, right? For King Jehoash... He wasn't fully taking advantage of the opportunities that were presented to him. We know this and that the physical realities of of the Old Testament are really intended to be spiritual realities for us today. I mean, there's parts of the Old Testament I go, thank God God's not the same God as he was in the Old Testament. I mean, but then there's other times I'm like, God, can you maybe shift into the Old Testament mode for a few minutes? Because I feel like there needs to be a little discipline here. Yeah, that problem's been dealt with, you know. That's why I'm not God. And you're not God because I, we couldn't handle that. Remember, remember my, God Almighty, that movie? Yeah. He couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it. So why do we sometimes try to be the God of our own lives? Right? Instead of seeing the opportunities that God affords us, that he provides for us, right? And what if we began to see the battles that we face in life 
as opportunities for God to prove himself, right? What happened if, if we would make sure that we shoot all of our arrows, right? You know, that message that I listened with, with Charles Spurgeon, one thing that, that just really impressed me and, and how applicable his sermon was to today. It was written in like 1885. But as I'm listening to it, I'm like, this same message could be preached verbatim today. It is still true. It's still relevant. Because here's what he said. He's like, you got to shoot all of your arrows. You got to shoot your arrows of prayer. You got to shoot your arrows of getting into the word of God. You got to shoot your arrows of being devoted, a committed follower of Christ and spreading the gospel to people who have yet to hear the gospel. You got to shoot all of your arrows. It's still applicable. God is providing us with the opportunity. Will we believe? Will we act in faith and believe that he, is poss- that he has all the possibilities available to you and me? So the challenges that we face, the prob- what if we started seeing problems as opportunities for God to move? What if we started seeing the battles as challenges that God is going to come through on? Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, are you getting this? <laughs> this, is, this is relevant to us today more so than we, what we would really like to think at times right what if we started bringing our problems to God and, and instead of fixating on the problems oh come on come on I need a little help in here I don't know about you but I focus way too much on the problems I'm talking about me now, okay? I need this message, probably more than you do. I'm just being real. Because for some reason, when there are big problems, I just go, okay, how do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem? And all of a sudden I hear, and God's saying, would you please, would you please stop focusing on the problem and start looking to me? Would you see that the problems are opportunities for me to come through for you? Would you start seeing the challenges and the battles as new possibilities? (laughs) Not only opportunities, but possibilities. My capacity, what I'm capable of doing. Because I can do so much more with what's going on in your life than what you can, right? Isn't that what God is really saying to us, church? Right? After all, Jesus said this in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. We're all gonna face it. It's gonna come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It, but here's what he said. Take heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen. So shouldn't that shift our perspective? Shouldn't that help us to look to God instead of fixating on the issue or the problem or the person or the whatever it is? Man, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the Lord has to really work on me because when I feel like somebody, uh, somebody just either they don't like me or they don't approve of me, uh, I'm a people pleaser. I think the majority of pastors are people pleasers. It's just the way it is. I mean, 
don't get me wrong, I'm a God pleaser first, but I also want to please people. But I've learned something in these 25 plus years of ministry. You ain't going to please everybody. It's impossible. I could please one of y'all one moment, and then the next moment you'd be mad at me. I was fine with you till you said that in your message. <laughs> right? I was fine with you till you talked to that person, and I don't like them, so now I'm mad at you because you're talking to them. <laughs> Welcome to my world, you know? <laughs> but I'm a people pleaser. I gotta watch that. Because if I'm not careful, I'll work harder at trying to please you than what I'm trying to please God. And I'll go, oh, you know what? I can't say that because I don't hear. I got bite my tongue because I'm going to make someone so mad. If I do that, trouble. That's why I've got to say what God says to say and do what God says to do, right? And so do you. <laughs> we all need to be God pleasers more than man pleasers, right? So here's the thing. We face battles of many kinds. Maybe right now you're in a situation, maybe you're facing decisions and you, perhaps you need healing or you, you've got tension in a relationship or there's a situation at work with a coworker that you're trying to maneuver through and you've got decisions, you've got financial issues, you've got whatever it is, friends. We all have some of the same issues. Thank God we don't have all the issues at once or at least most of us don't have all the issues at once. But... If we focus on the Lord, if we focus on the opportunities that are around us, things can change because God is bigger than the battles, right? He is more powerful than the circumstances that we have to contend with. So let me lead us to another thought here because this is, this is how we have to see things right here. God wants to help you on your journey. It comes down to whether or not we agree with that or believe it. Yeah? yeah. You know, I said something in, in Breakfast Club. It's not in my notes, but it came to me then, and it's coming to me again now. And that is, this is truth, right? And we need to believe in the truth. But it's not enough just to believe that this is true. Some of you go, well, where are you going with that, Pastor? That's God's word you're talking about there. You're right, it's God's word, and I believe every word of it. And I believe you should not change one little bit of it, right? But here's what I'm going to tell you. It isn't going to work for you unless you believe it. It's truth, but is it your truth? Have you made his truth your truth? Because when we make his truth our truth, then the truth becomes reality, Oh, I'm preaching. Somebody needs to help me. Help me, help me. God wants to help you on your journey. He is there. He is in the midst of whatever you're going through. He knows the circumstances better than you. Right? Come on, look at your neighbor again and say, God wants to help you. <laughs> For that same person that gave you a cross-eyed look a few minutes ago. Maybe, just maybe, they needed to hear that statement, right? God wants to help you. We see that clearly here with King Jehoash. God wanted to help Israel. But just like sometimes we do. Uh, 
get the idea that that's kind of the way the king did it. Really? Uh, okay. Just like sometimes when I'll be like, can somebody say amen? You're like, okay, throw him a bone, throw him, a, throw him an arrow, amen. But isn't it sometimes kind of like a half-hearted thing? That we approach God from a half-hearted perspective like, oh, God, you know, I believe, but, you know, there's this, there's this little bit of doubt there. This, you know. hey, let me tell you something. If you had doubt coming in this morning, that worship set should have just, right? right? I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yeah? I, I get it. Some of you are like, yeah, but you don't know what, you know, you know, I don't. But you don't know what I go through. We don't always know what each other is going through. But that doesn't change the reality that I'm sharing with you the truth of God's word. And you should walk out of here going, you know what? I'm not gonna half-heartedly strike the arrow. I believe in the possibilities and God's capacity to come through for me regardless of the situation, right? That's how the king should have struck the ground. It's not how he struck the ground, but it is how we are going to strike the ground, church, right? We're going to learn from a lesson here, and we're going to say, we don't want to be like that evil king, half-hearted, half-hearted commitment, who pulled up short, who didn't see it through. You know what? I'm going to go down with the ship, church. Are you? We are living in times, we are living in times when it's not convenient to live for Jesus. And we're living in a time where we may have to stand up and they may point a gun in our face. If you have problems getting out of bed on Sunday morning, you might have a problem looking down the barrel of a gun that's aiming at your head. Wasn't planning on going there. But that just came over me because you know what? We can no longer live this complacent, apathetic version of Christianity. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I tell you what, the church is, we master making mountains out of molehills. Don't we? Come on, can we just be honest with ourselves for a minute? Can we keep the main thing the main thing? And trust God at his word? What he says? Be all in, committed to him. Not just like church, check, I was there. But no, we are the church. The church isn't somewhere we go while we have this beautiful facility and we want to continue to beautify this beautiful facility. It isn't about this place. It's about what he has placed within us. It's about us being his church, not doing church, not going to church, but being the church. That's what it means to shoot all your arrows, right? That's what it means to strike the ground, to say, we will be victorious. We are victorious, but we will be even more victorious as we trust in him. It doesn't matter what this person says. It doesn't matter what that person does. What, the only thing that matters is what he says. 
I'm looking out there and I think some of you might be like, hey, I'm not going back there. <laughs> that guy's insane. Might be true. But you know what? I'm going to go down in flames, church. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the time, but I'm also looking at my pulse indicator. And uh, I got up to 142 there in that rant. I got a workout in. There it is record workout. Cardiovascular workout today. There we go. No, but seriously, hear my heart. I'm not mad at anybody. But I feel like we need to really trust God to be who he says he is. And that he'll do what he said he would do. Right? That was the problem with King Jehoash. He wanted to hear from God is an interesting thought. He wanted to hear from God, but then he wanted to do what he wanted to do in spite of the fact that God had already spoken. You know, we'll not get complete victory if we have that mindset. I want to hear, God, I need to hear from you. I need to, you know, there are times, I don't know about you, but there are times that I've had to say, you know what? I need to hear from a prophet. Hey, I just, are you hearing anything from the Lord about what's going on with me? That's okay to do that, by the way. It's not, we're not reaching out to a psychic. But if we have a friend, if we have a brother or sister who regularly hears from the Lord, hey, I know you're praying for me. Maybe it's a text. I know you're praying for me. Is, there, is the Lord showing you anything about what's going on in my life? Ever done that before? Now, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, so please don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh, well, the prophet or the prophet has said this, so thus says the Lord. I, yeah, hopefully that's the case, but every once in a while, they miss the mark, right? So you need to be hearing more than from one person, yeah? First of all, we need to be hearing it from the Lord directly, from his word and from the Holy Spirit, right? But sometimes we need the confirmation of others, And we need the man and the woman of God who's speaking on behalf of the Lord to say, you know what? This is what I'm sensing. And that's helpful. But there's a problem when we hear what the Lord wants us to hear and then we don't do the right thing with it. With knowledge comes responsibility. That's what this message is about, church. If we want to shoot all the arrows out of our quiver. We need to see it that we're taking the responsibility to do what God has challenged us to do. It says this, let me, if you're facing a battle today, listen to me, Psalm 28, verse seven. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. I could go on and on and on and on verse after verse after verse, because God wants to help you and me, and he's there on the journey with us, church. He is there. He is there for you. And I want to end with this last thought, and if they're upstairs, they're going, oh, dear Lord, he's skipping over a lot of content. It's the last thought, okay? God will help you to the degree that you believe, Now, I know when you first read that, you're like, "Uh, uh, 
So there's that much responsibility that God allows me to have in this equation? Well, according to the story, yeah. You know, I've oftentimes thought of this, and, and even of late, in the last four to six months, I've thought about it even more. What, what if people's decisions are not what God really wants them to do? And how that affects me or you as a person? Could that really be the case, Lord? So one person's decision can hijack what you intend to do, me, with you, with us. I've come to the conclusion that the answer to that is, unfortunately, yes. But God. We can allow it to take us under or to discourage us to the point that we become ineffective or we can say, God, I'm gonna believe you in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I see, in spite of what I sense, I trust you. It's just like the song that says, some may trust in horses, some in chariots, and that's obviously who the king was trusting in, right? Did you catch that? Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but I'm gonna trust in the name of the Lord my God. It's where we place our trust that matters. Better yet, it's who we place our trust in that matters. I mean, I want you to trust me as a friend, as a pastor, as someone who is doing my best to articulate what God has shared with me or what God wants me to share with you. Yes, I want that. But friends, I never ever want your trust to be on me when it should be on him. And I never want you to even look at each other and say, you know, I really trust that person, but I don't trust this person over here. No, let's put our absolute trust and our absolute confidence in God, right? And let that trust and that confidence that we place in other people come from that relationship that we have with him. It's all about the vertical relationship and how it affects the horizontal relationships, yeah? Right, church? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And we can see, we can see that, that God wanted to give them absolute, complete victory. They had to settle for something less. And, and unfortunately, we see it in verses 24 and 25. And I'm just about done. I know you're getting hungry, but one more passage here. Haziel, king of Aram, died. And Benadad, his son, succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from Benadad, son of Ahaziel, the towns he had taken in battle from his father, Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. You know what that tells me? One victory, two victory, three victory. When there could have been more. So what does that mean for you and me as we close this out? Well, we each have a, a bow. We each have some arrows. It's your prayer life. It's your devotional life. It's your commitment here at church. It's your commitment to one another. It's relational commitments that you have with your spouse or family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. There are so many different commitments, right? It's even your work commitment because you're an example where God placed you. 
right? What are we going to do with those arrows? Are we going to see it through? With God's help, I will win. Right? And that we shoot those arrows as a declaration of victory. Because we win. We win. So let me just wrap this up with this thought. Are you going to do what God wants you to do, to do with what he has given to you? I pray that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I'm going to do what God wants me to do to the best of my ability. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to act it out. I'm going to believe it and I'm going to act on it. I'm going to see it through, right? And I believe that God is saying this to you. He's saying this to me. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it and then I want you to read it with me. Keep striking the ground. Keep striking the ground. Keep believing in me. Keep trusting in me. Don't give up. Don't give in. Know that I am here and I will give you the victory. Can we say that together? Keep striking the crown. Keep striking the crown. Keep believing in me. Keep trusting in me. Don't give up. Don't give in. Know that I am here and I will give you the victory. Amen. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this service, Lord, we pray. We pray for the battles, (laughs) the problems, the challenges that we face in our lives, that we would begin to see them as moments of opportunity, that we would see the capacity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're reading an Old Testament story but we're reading it through the lenses of the new covenant. That changes everything. Because in Christ, in Christ we have already won. In Christ we have victory because of what we just celebrated last week. You are no longer in the tomb. You pay the price and the tomb is empty. And the same spirit that rose you from the dead gives life to our mortal bodies. So Lord, help us to see the challenges and the battles and the struggles from your focal point, from your point of view. Lord God, help us to see, God, the opportunities that are all around us. And instead of seeing the problems and fixating on the problems, may we look to the problem solver. May we see that, God, even when our backs are against the wall and we don't know how it's all going to work out, you already know the end result. So Lord, let us lean into you. Let us trust you with our lives. Let us trust you with whatever we're battling through, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relational tension. Regardless, God, you are the God of all. And all things, Lord God, all things can shift and change and turn around because of you. So Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our relationships. We trust you with our health. We trust you with our finances. We trust you with the issues that we face on a day-to-day basis. And we, Lord God, shoot those arrows of devotion and pray, God, that you would work in and through our lives. Let it be so as we leave this place, knowing, God, 
that those arrows of victory have hit the ground. And we are victorious in Christ Jesus. We ask it all in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, church. Blessings.